Welcome, friends. Y'all read the e-news. I know I write this, and I pray that like at least 10 of you would read it, but we talked about different countries and how there's an Anglican family. And what I forgot to write it because I was in a hurry is that we have Anglican family in Canada, in uh, Alberta. They call it the Texas of Canada. And we also have friends in Vancouver and Saskatchewan. And one of those friends who was born in Scotland was there, but then he went back to Scotland on assignment from the Lord. In the first service, he was deacon, Howard Espy. Now he's father or presbyter, Howard Espy. And Howard, I'm so sorry for the short thing here, but we designed it for me. So you'll have to work with it, brother. All right. Thank you. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be with you in the presence of the Lord as we open up the scriptures together. Be helpful if you have your scriptures open at the reading at Luke chapter 15, where Father Stephen read for us at verse 11. There's something of uh, an urban legend in, in Via Apostolica. When I was doing an afternoon service one Sunday, I said to a Nepalese congregation that was meeting in our church, I said, turn with me and we'll have a look at the book of Luke. <laughs> and that's kind of, yeah, St Father Stephen and Father Robert remind me of that. And yeah, I think my, my brogue was very thick. Hopefully it's not too thick this morning. And if anything's lost in translation, just please give me a little wave and say, what was that now? <laughs> but it really is terrific to be here. Such a blessing. Friends, we're not coming to learn as if in lecture style where I'm going to make points for you to take notes on. That's important. It's really good for us to study and to think deeply about the scriptures. But may we keep in a posture of worship May we remember the heart of worship, that actually as we come to the Scriptures, our worship is just deepening, and the Lord is beckoning us to come up, to come up higher into the things of His heart. And then we will end as the very high point of Christian worship as we come up to the altar, the place where heaven and earth meet, the place where past and present and future, they all come together. And you are called to this place today not by any strength of your own, not by any merit that you possess, not by any skill or accolade, but you are called here this day by grace to participate in the very life and worship of God. So friends, may we humble ourselves before the Scriptures, and may we even now be in a posture of prayer, O oh Lord, let me hear you. Holy Spirit, take what is of Jesus, and make it known to us. We cannot do this on our own. Friends, celebrate your weakness. Don't run away from it, but say to the Lord, oh, I'm weak. Would you help me understand? Would you be my teacher? Will you lead me into all truth? For you were born for it, friends. You were made to behold God face to face in His beautiful vision to see him as he is. This is your call. This is why you've come. So, with humble hearts, let us proceed. When we come to think about the parables of Jesus, when we come to study his stories, this is a well-known parable. It's the parable of the prodigal son, but perhaps it should be renamed the parable of the running father. 
Because in the Jewish culture of the day, a father that ran anywhere would be deemed as undignified. His robes would lift up and you would see his ankles and his legs. That was culturally taboo. And here we have in our story a running father. But more than that, Jesus begins this parable with a big opener, the plot twist right at the beginning. And he comes and he says, there was a father who had two sons. And the youngest son said to the father, I would like the share of my inheritance right now. Now, we in our Western ears, we don't understand fully what's going on in this minute. To the Jewish year, this would be alarm bells ringing. Effectively, what the young son is saying is, Dad, I wish you would drop dead. I want you dead. I want the stuff, but I don't want you. I'll have your goods, but I'd like to get as far away from you as is possible. And that's the opener of the story. Picture the Jewish people around about him. The organ stop eyes. What? Maybe the deep <gasps> breath in. Pardon? Did he just say that? And what is Jesus doing in telling us this story? Well, this parable, this is the third parable. There's been another two before it. And these parables are being told by Jesus in response to what is happening around about him. Mark 15 opens with the fact that the, Phar the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're noticing that the tax collectors and the sinners are being drawn to Jesus. And they make this point. Oh, the sinners are coming to him and he is eating with them. And Jesus doesn't give a rebuttal, doesn't make an argumentative case. He begins to move into storytelling mode. First story is that of a shepherd who had 99 sheep and he goes out for the one lost sheep. The next story is about the woman who hunts frantically for the lost coin. And the theme of that which is lost being found is woven all the way throughout. But it's worthwhile thinking about what is Jesus doing as he's telling these stories. Before we go any further in this parable, it would be helpful to ask that question. Here's a helpful frame, as it were, to look at this by the biblical scholar Kenneth Bailey. He says this about a parable. A parable is an extended metaphor, and as such, it is a message delivery system, not so much of one idea, but rather a house in which the reader or listener is invited to take up residence. Let me read that again. A parable is an extended metaphor, and as such, it is a message delivery system not so much for one idea, but rather a house in which the reader or listener is invited to take up residence. What's Kenneth Bailey saying here? Well, in this house, in the story of this house, all kinds of themes are to be found. Finding lost things, yes, as with the other two stories, but it's a place of forgiveness. It's a place of healing. Here's the home of redemption. Here's a story about joy and repentance. And Jesus, with this aid of storytelling, 
is actually saying to his readers, come and live here. The parables of Jesus are another sign of God's hospitality. God wants us to come and inhabit these stories and these stories to begin to inhabit us, to take over us, so that we might think deeply on them, to study their content, to imagine ourselves in the very pages, in the very characters of the words. And more than that, God Himself by His Spirit is present in this house of the parables. This, all of this word, all of these words are God-breathed. God has given us the gift of His Word, and He says, let it enter you, and you come and enter it. Dwell deeply, abide in my word. That's what we're invited in to do today. And as we've already begun to do, let's look at this story in more detail with one particular lens and frame this morning to study the posture and heart of the father of the story. For in seeing this character, we see the generosity of God. And that's the core theme that I want to explore this morning beholding God's generosity to us in mercy. The band wonderfully led us in it. His mercy is more, the more than generosity of God. And it's in His mercy that He draws us in and says, let's take a look, let's peer at it, let's behold it, let's see it. Come and behold this merciful God. So we've looked at the context. We've been with the startled listeners. We've heard of the son who gets his way. He has his cake and he eats it. If the son were in Glasgow, the, son might, the father might box him around the ears and say, no way, you want your stuff now? No. In fact, out the house you go. <laughs> but not so. The father lovingly says, there you are, son, there's your portion. You're free to do with it as you wish. And he does, he squanders it. He goes off into a far country in wild living, reckless abandon. And then the memory, when he's out with the pigs, salivating over their food, the pods of the peas, this sweet memory comes in. He comes to his senses. He remembers life in his father's house, and he remembers his servants. They had bread to eat. And then he begins to rehearse the script. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to see if my father, I know I'm no longer worthy to be called a son, but I'll serve in my father's house. It's going to be better than this. And so he then begins the long journey home. And here we get to behold the heart of the running father. Verse 20, if you could please put it up. Look at it with me. And he arose and he came to his father. He traveled home. But whilst he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. Now see it, friend. See it in the eye of your imagination right now. Perhaps you can picture your own homestead. I'm thinking of the crofts of the highlands, where there's the house on the hill, and here's the sun at the bottom of the drive, way down in the valley. 
Why is, this, why is the Father looking out for him? Is this what he does? Is this his daily routine? Maybe it's today. Maybe he remembers my love. Maybe he remembers my generosity. Maybe it's today. And whilst the sun is a long way off, Jesus at this point could say, the Father came to him and they were reconciled. Kept it short, sweet, succinct, not so these words. We are invited into this wonderful description of all that happens. Notice how many ands there are in the sentence. And, and, and. Whilst he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You see what's happening? The movement of these words, it begins with an affective feeling, an emotion. Jesus himself feels this emotion. Jesus has compassion on the crowds. He has compassion over Jerusalem. He feels it, friends. Jesus has compassion upon each and every one of you this morning. Jesus looks at you, you, there in the pew, and He has compassion upon you. And that word compassion, it's about you feel it in the inner organs of your body. And this deep feeling from the bowels, the very center of your internal organs, Jesus feels that toward you this day. But here in our story, the Father also feels this toward His Son. It doesn't paralyze Him. It doesn't go, oh, there's my son, my youngest. Ha! The cost of him. Emotion will either take you to something or away from something. Notice where the emotion takes the father. This emotion then starts his legs and his arms going. Now see it. See the father of the story running toward you. And he ran and he embraced him. The embrace of the Father, the generosity of the Father. Should have thrown him out the family when he left that day. You are dead to me. You think you're dead to me? I'm now dead to you and you're dead to me. Case closed. Goodbye. Okay, firstborn, you have it all. You want to run the farm? It's yours. Not so. It's a long way off, and the father goes that long distance and draws him to his very heart, and he kisses him. Friends, do you know the kiss of the father? It's your inheritance. The heart of the father is naked before you this day in heaven, and he says, come, my beloved sons and daughters, come to me, come home. Come and let me embrace you. Come and let me take you to your very myself. He doesn't stop kissing. Each and every day there's a new kiss, for His mercy is new and afresh every morning. The Father will not stop kissing you all the days of your life. I love you. I made you. I created you for myself. Not because I needed you. I'm so full in my glory, but I want you to enjoy my glory. That's what you and I are invited into. And now, what happens next? The rehearsed script. Oh, I've done it again, Lord. I, 
Father, I, I'm, I've fallen short. I've, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son now. Can't even probably see his gaze. Can't even see the love in his eyes. The kiss would have been awkward. The embrace would be nasty. Oh, I, mm, don't call me son. Just, can I be a servant? I'm really hungry and I stink of pigs. Doesn't even respond. In the same way he ran, the same quickness is in his response. Turn with me, look further on. At verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Not the robe that still hangs, probably doesn't fit the son now that he's maybe grown in his bedroom door. Not the old one at the back door where you put it on before you feed the animals. The very best robe of the house. Come bring that one and put it on him. Let his nakedness be covered. And let's not just stop there. Let's put a ring on his finger for you're a son and not a servant or a slave. I want to put fine jewelry on you to tell you of your authority in my house, son. You're welcome here. And quick, bring the sandals. Have them be placed in there. For my son, he was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. Come, let us kill the fatted calf. Let us celebrate. And then we have the other character who is, and a long way off, he comes back home from working in the fields. Here's the bass. Here's the tambourines, the jamboree. What's all this? What's going on? Oh, it's your brother. He's come home. What? And they've killed the fatted calf. Pardon? <laughs> I'm not going in. And what do you see again of the father in this story? The father goes out. Even to us who are self-righteous. Even to us who say, I'm not like so-and-so. I didn't prostitute your wealth, father. The uppity ones. They stink just as much. It's just not of pigs. <laughs> All of our righteousness are as filthy rags before God. Oh, son, do you not know all that I have is yours? I'd freely give it to you. You've always been with me. But this is my son. He was lost and now he's found. He's dead and he's been brought back to life. Come on in. We've looked and we've studied and we've begun to see where God is in this passage. We've studied the, the context and the story. Now let us behold Jesus in the story, friends. That's the high point of our Christian worship. That's by his name we can come home to the Father. <laughs> Imagine the scene in heaven. Picture it in your mind's eye. Before the creation was made, do you know what the Bible describes Jesus as being crucified? A lamb slain from the very beginning. Before there was anything, before the worlds were made. He'd already decided. It was already so secure. When they all leave you, when every one of them abandons you, Father, when they're dead in their transgressions and their sins, when they wish you were dead and they could get off of the fetters of you and get out of the yoke that you would put on them. Psalm 2. I'll go, Father. I'll take off the best robe that I've enjoyed for all eternity. Your pleasure and your glory. I'll take it off. 
I'll set aside my glory. I'll lay it down. Look after it for me, Father, because I'm coming back. I'll take the rings and the jewelry of your love and I'll set them aside. I'll empty myself completely. Once you touch his mercy, you're utterly ruined. And it's a glorious ruin. Friends, don't play in the shallows. Come out into the depths. And he slips off his shoes, sets aside all his glory, and he's born amongst us, born of the virgin, born into a stable. Emmanuel, God with us in a far country where stenches worth than manure abound. He lives the perfect life. He lives in unbroken communion with his Father as a human, as you and I, in constant need going back and saying, Father, I want to abide in your love. Where are we going tomorrow? Into desolate places he goes. He's about the Father's business. And his Father's business is this, that this is the way the Son is glorified, that he dies in your place and in mine. The shame that is mine is placed onto him. The filth and the muck and the mire of sin, he sinks his hands right deep into it and he places it upon his shoulders and onto a cross he is hanged and he hinges above the world and he is naked so that you can be clothed. He is forsaken. He knows the wrath and the terror and the fury of your sin and the punishment of it. And the holiness of God, the terrible fury of the holiness of God and its brilliance and beauty. Jesus drinks down the very dregs of the cup of God's wrath. He is naked, nearly naked on the cross. And what's he looking at? Men down at the foot of the cross dividing his clothes, casting lots. Oh, there's a seamless garment. That'll be good. Who wants it? Let's cast lots. But he dies in your place. And three days later, he arises. He rose from the dead. And not only that, he begins his ascension from a far country. He goes to the heavenly country. And there his heavenly father waits, eagerly waiting. For they were separate. The father turned his face away at the sin on Jesus. Father, why have you forsaken but when the sun is a long way off, as he's striding through the streets of glory, as all the saints and the angels line the thoroughfare, the father runs to his eternal son and he says, oh, my son, you're home. And he doesn't stop kissing him. And he says, here, sit at my right hand, son. Take the highest place of all honor, the fullness of my glory. I wanted to rest on you. Oh, the best cloak. The father then looks and says, who are they that are coming after from every age and time and generation, from every nation, from every brogue, from every accent and language? Oh, these are them, father. We've redeemed them. It worked. From Abraham, from Adam, 
from Eve. Second Adam has done it. He's gardening again. He's making all things new again. And Father, I've done it. Oh, bring them in to the feast of God. Friends, that is your inheritance this day. Don't be duped by the false promises of this world. Don't be sold the lies of if you have enough power, if you have enough money, if you get enough sex. Om, nom, 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 nom. Consume, consume, consume. And you yourself are consumed. Friends, don't settle, as C.S. Lewis would say, don't settle for making mud pies and puddles when before you is a glorious trip to the beach. It's waiting. Every day it's waiting. Come out from the things of the world. Come out from that which would make you unclean and keep you in a false prison. For you are invited upwards. We now go upwards together with Christ. We get to participate in heavenly realities. We get to know the robe of Christ and His righteousness placed on us, covering our nakedness. We get to know the rings of His authority. You are a son in the house of God. You are a daughter in the family of God. Take your place. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Preach and tell them, not in your own authority, but the authority that's yours in the Father's favor and pleasure. And have your feet shod in the gospel of peace that all the storms will rage here on the earth, but we are a colony of heaven. We are a kingdom outpost, telling of an age, a sure age to come, that has come, is coming, and will coming. Will come. So friends, draw, come, be part of this. Let's enter in and go further up and further in. He has made you worthy. And His mercy is extended. Come, each and every one of you. Oh, but Howard, you don't know. Oh, I keep falling in that sin. I'm not worthy. You're right. None of us are worthy. So don't entertain the accusations of the enemy. It's a half-truth. It's, it's a lie. I'm not worthy. But my Father says, come into the embrace of God, not spectating, but into the very embrace of God. What God is by nature, we enter into by grace. We participate in the eternal love between the lover and the beloved, between the Father and the Son. And all stories will fall away. And we will be before our God, <laughs> the author of the orgasm, the author of divine pleasure, the author of all glorious intimacy. Here we are, Father. Be pleased to pour out your Spirit on this beloved congregation. Catch us up and take us into your Son still more and more and more. Ravish us, O God. Ruin us, O God. You're altogether lovely and all this is for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.